Well, I don't know if you've noticed, but the world has gone crazy. At least that's how it seems every time I scroll my news feed or I read whatever article is forwarded to me by one of my aunts or uncles or I watch some video that's given to me by Facebook or TikTok or whatever it is. My first thought is the world has lost its mind. But I have a theory. I don't think the world has so much gone crazy so much as I think the world is really just acting like a teenager. Apologies to all the teenagers in the room, but I think it's true. I mean, science tells us that, that we don't begin to use the full capacity of our brains until we're about 25 years old. Our brains aren't fully matured until that point. And it's not until about the age of 20 that we even really begin in earnest engaging the rational part of our brains. So really, throughout all of teenage life, we are primarily driven by emotions and think of no one other than ourselves. We are emotional and selfish. Does that sound familiar? Now, teenagers, again, no offense, we love you. Apparently, we love you so much that when we get together as a culture and a community, we act just like you. <laughs> now, this is not new. Uh, this is why the Bible is filled not just with life-changing promises fulfilled for us in Jesus, but also just some good old-fashioned wisdom. And what we're going to do in this series is we're going to look at some of the, the down-to-earth, common-sense wisdom given to us in the scriptures that I think is essential for our particularly irrational times. But before we dive into the wisdom that we're going to look at this morning, I want to share with you some of my favorite words of advice and pieces of wisdom that didn't make the cut for this series. This series could have been about 20 weeks long because the Bible is full of so much good stuff and, and me and you, we've also been passed on some really good wisdom and advice throughout the years and I would love to talk about all of it, but we just don't have time. So let me highlight a couple of things that are on the cutting room floor but are good wisdom, sound advice nonetheless things that you are likely to hear around my house if you actually listen to me. So here's the first one. This is one that I have said to my daughter not all that long ago. I think, in fact, it was two weeks ago. It goes like this. The person you want to be is on the other side of things you'd rather avoid. The character that you want to develop, the opportunities you want to have is on the other side of difficult things. If you avoid difficulty, you are also forsaking opportunity to grow and to change and to be the person you actually want to be. Another great piece of wisdom or advice is this. Most plans will work if you work the plan. I get an opportunity to work with a lot of pastors outside of St. Mark's, some church planters, because we did that in a previous ministry. And one of the things I have to say to them all the time is this, your plan will work if you work the plan. Because an inside insight about pastors, they always get excited about another plan, another idea. But your plan will work if you work the plan. In most cases, the issue is follow through. Another great piece of advice, the truly wise receive counsel and accept critique. You should be open to the critique of others. Another one that I appreciate, fools wander while the wise travel. The difference between a wanderer and a traveler is a traveler has a destination and an agenda in mind. Here's one that comes straight from the Proverbs. A good name is better than great riches. What good is it to gain the whole world if you lose your reputation in the process? Now, perhaps the best piece of advice that, that I've ever received that I can pass along to you comes to us in two parts. The first part is this. 
Mom is always right. And the second one is like it. Dad always agrees with mom. That has saved me so much heartache as a husband and as a parent. My child comes to me and they ask me anything. Or the way it manifests itself now, my teenage daughter texts me something and my text back to her is simply this. Whatever your mom said, I agree wholeheartedly. What's some of the words of wisdom that you hold tight to that have been passed on to you? Well, here's the one that we're going to look at today. It comes to us from the scriptures. The wisdom is this. The choices you make, make waves. The choices I make, make waves. When I was young, my family had a boat, a little 17-foot open bow boat, and we would take it up north in Michigan to this tiny river that, that fed into this much larger lake. And I remember every once in a while, every great once in a while, my dad would let me drive the boat down the river out to the lake. And without fail, he would say to me, slow down. Slow down, watch your speed. And then he would point to one of the thousand signs that said, own your wake. Own the fact that as you go through the water, you make waves that affect every other boat, every other person out there. So be responsible. Understand that you are in the water and you make waves that everybody else has to ride. Now, here's what makes someone foolish. A foolish person is someone who doesn't understand how water works. They don't understand that your boat makes waves for everybody else. No matter how you move it, no matter how careful you are, every decision that you make makes ripples, if not waves, that everybody else has to ride. And a foolish person doesn't get that. They're only concerned about their own boat. But a wise person understands that their life is connected to everyone else's. The scriptures draw, us, draw our attention to, to three realities. In fact, you could say that, that God wants us to be mindful of three things at any given moment. He wants us to be mindful of him, mindful of ourselves, and mindful of others. That as we live in this life, every decision that we make reflects on him, affects somebody else, and helps determine the steps that we take and the future that we are stepping into. He wants us to be mindful of him, ourselves, and others. Jesus is getting at this in Matthew 22 when he, he talks about how we are to live as faithful followers of him in God's kingdom. He says this, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says life comes down to this, expressing love to the Father and love to others. In all that we do, we aim to love God and love others. We want to create a wake that is respectful and loving and respectful and loving. Paul, in the New Testament, he builds on this when he says in verses 3 and 4 of Philippians 2, he says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. The equation is clear. God wants his people to be wise people with every step every word, every decision to understand that it all reflects upon him, affects somebody else, 
and helps determine the future that he's calling you into. Now, the problem is that you and I live in a world that is broken by sin. And sin, you could say at its core, is a rejection of those three realities. Sin at a DNA level is really selfishness. It is putting yourself at the center of the universe, which is a spot that really only God should have, and then narrowing your focus down just to your wants, your needs in your moment. Sin is selfishness. It's a disregard for how it reflects on God, the needs of others, and the future because it's just focused on me, myself, my needs in this little boat, in this little moment, all the other waves forgotten. There's a famous theologian, a really famous theologian. He's very, very dead and very, very famous. St. Augustine. He's one of the, the founders, you could say, of the, the early Christian church in terms of its theology and thinking. And Augustine had an interesting way of illustrating what sin is. He had a Latin phrase that he used. I'll, I'll teach you some Latin. The Latin phrase is this, homo incurvatus in se. What it means is man is turned inside on himself. Man is turned on himself. Here's what he's saying. Think of the Christian life that you're supposed to live as a life where you're sitting in God's world and your shoulders are back and your eyes are up and you are fully engaged with the world around you. And you're able to be mindful of the God above you, aware of your neighbor's needs next to you, and also your eyes can be on the horizon from time to time thinking about where God is leading you and the future he's calling you to. What sin does is that it turns us in on ourselves and we, we become unaccountable to God, uncaring about others, and unaware of how our choices today shape tomorrow. The visual is like this. Rather than be open and engaged with the world, we turn in. We turn our heart and mind away from God. We turn our back to our neighbors and we get consumed with ourselves. This is what sin is. I am turned away from God. I'm turned away from my neighbor. I'm turned away from my future even and I'm consumed with self in this moment. This is sin. And what God is trying to do is get you to open back up. Lift your eyes so that you can live a life that is open and aware of him and others and the future he's calling you into. The beautiful thing about Jesus is that Jesus, of course, lived this perfectly. This, this open life. Everything Jesus did was, was for you. Jesus' entire life was lived for his father, for his friends, and for the future. The future of what he would do on the cross and dying for our sins and rising from the grave. Jesus is, is amazing because and any truth that he gives us and any promise that he tells us and any wisdom he offers us is not just something that we are to embrace and if need be, do. Jesus first does it for us. He does it perfectly. He fulfills it on our behalf. Again, everything Jesus did was for you. Every choice that he made was for his father, his friends, and the future, the mission he had in saving the world. 
Every miracle that Jesus performed, feeding the 5,000, healing the sick, was done so that those who see it, who hear about it, might drop their jaw in awe of the Father. Every word that he said, every, every convicting truth that cuts to the core, every promise that breathes life into you was spoken as a blessing and a benefit for you, his friend. And every step that he took, whether it was on the road to Jerusalem or onto the water, out to the boat that his disciples were in, every step that he took was, was with the cross in mind. It was ultimately toward that future that the Father had called him to, to live, die, and rise for you and me. Everything he did was wide open to the Father, his friends, and the future. He understand that every word, every miracle, every step was for all those things and created ripples and waves toward it all. Now, when you live a life wide open, seeking to honor God, bless others, and be faithful to the life that God has called you to live, it, it looks like sacrifice, and it certainly did for Jesus. It, it might not look like winning, according to this world, and it certainly didn't for Jesus. But you know what it was? It was a life of love all the way around. And the end result of Jesus understanding the ripples that he made here and here and everywhere is that you, you are forgiven. You belong in the Father's family. You are secure. You are so secure in the Father's family that you are free to think more of others than yourself. You don't have to worry about whether or not you're going to get yours. You don't have to worry about whether or not you're going to be okay. All that's taken care of and secure in the death and resurrection of Jesus given to you through your belief in baptism. You are set free to think about what it means to honor God and bless others as you care for yourself. Jesus lived this perfectly and set you and I free to attempt the same. This is what Paul is getting at in the latter half of Philippians chapter 2. Right after he says, think not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others, he says this. He, he points to Jesus. He says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So how are we to live this? If we want to push away selfishness and understand the ripples that we make and make sure that we live a life that reflects on God in a way that is good and that blesses others and that is faithful to the future that God has called us to, what does this look like? What does it look like to live this out in every decision, the big and the small? And, and by the way, I would argue to you that the small decisions are the most important ones. We're at a stage of life in our house where we're facing some big decisions for our daughter. She's very worried about where to go to college. And, and, and it's tough as a parent to try and help your child understand that this is a big decision, but, but, but it's not the most consequential decision you'll make in your entire life. It's just not. The truth is this. Most of the big decisions that we make, like where we'll go to school, who we will marry, what career, career we will have, are the result of not just the providence of God, but also the circumstances that God has put us into. 
It's true. What's arguably more important are the decisions that you make within those things, the very small decisions, because those are more directly tied to your character, to your heart. It's, it's the choices that you make within that marriage on a daily basis, the choices that you make within that job or while you're at school. Those are the most formative things. So, so do we take this thing that we're learning from Jesus and do we apply it to the big things? Sure, but we also, if not more, apply it to the thousand small things that we do every day. And so here's what it looks like to be aware of the waves. And, and this is going to be so simple, you might, you might slap me. But that's the case with wisdom. It's often so obvious, but so hard to do. Here's what it looks like in every decision, the big and in particular the small. We try to be mindful of three things. We think about the up and the out and the in. Think up, think out, and think in. Think up about our relationship with God. Does this choice honor him? Is it good? Is it moral? Is it in step with the ethics that we see in Scripture? Does it honor him? And then we also, we think out. How will this decision, big or small, affect the people around me? Those that I love and those who I may not even know but are in close proximity to me. How does this choice today affect those people? Not only that, but, but is there a possibility for this to benefit them? Is there a way in which I can make this choice in such a way that it blesses and benefits them? Think out. And then we think in about ourselves. How does this choice move me closer, not to what I want right now, but to the person I believe God is calling me to become tomorrow? How does this help me in some way, shape, or form be faithful to the future that God has called me to? How does it help me be a faithful follower of Jesus? In all things, we think about the up and the out and the in. That's what it means to be faithful. That's what it means to grasp and understand and own the waves that your life creates. It, it seems like the world has gone crazy but it hasn't. The, the world is just what the world has always been. Foolish. And the foundation of foolishness is this. You are either too naive to grasp or too arrogant to care about the implications of your decisions. May we, followers of Jesus, not be so foolish. May we, as Paul says, have the mind of Christ, who for the joy set before him, the joy of, of honoring his father, the joy of saving his friends, the joy of fulfilling the plan that he was put here to accomplish, endured the cross, scorned its shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the father. There's a professor at Columbia who has come out with a study that says that the average adult makes 70 conscious decisions every day. Seven zero, conscious decisions, from big to mostly mundane and small. If you do the math, that equals about 25,500 decisions that you and I will make each year. Over the course of 70 years, that's 1.7 million decisions and some change. 
The famous philosopher Albert Camus said, you are the sum total of your life's decisions. And if that's the case, what kind of life are you building? Who are you? May we be wise. May we imitate the life that was lived for us. May we open ourselves up, reject the inward focus of selfishness, and may we seek in all things to own our weight, honoring God, loving others, and trying to step faithfully into the future.